Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepherd. I'm a mastering engineer, and I run the production advice website aimed at helping you get the best results recording, mixing, and mastering your music. And with me, as usual, this week is John Tidy from reaperblog.net. Hi, John. Hello, everyone. And also, potentially confusingly, we have another John, who is our guest this week, uh, John Greenham, who is a mastering engineer based out of LA, I believe. Although, originally you came from the UK, is that right, John? That's correct, yes. That's a silly question, because I've been listening to your voice and thinking, congratulations, sir, on not losing your accent. Well, that depends who I'm talking to, actually. I've learned to sort of go under the radar a bit over here. I can, I can pull off, you know, so that people don't start asking me if I, you know, know their friend who lives in Liverpool <laughs> or something, you know. So. <laughs> I've learned to uh, be a bit more anonymous. But anyway, yeah, cool. So, John, thanks so much uh, for being with us. You and I connected soon after I made a video for my YouTube channel about the Billie Eilish album that you mastered recently and got a Grammy for. Congratulations. Thank you. The video title was, Is Billie Eilish Too Loud? Mm. Um, and anybody who's interested in watching that video and doesn't want spoilers should stop now and go and watch it and then come back because... Short version, no, I don't think Billie Eilish is too loud. Mm. I think we'll come back and talk about all of that more in a minute. Maybe first of all, you can just tell us a little bit about how you got started with mastering. I started doing it in San Francisco. I got an opportunity to work in uh, Paul Stubblebine's studio there. And Paul is like a huge gearhead. So he's got like, he had, at the time he had three Pacific Microsonics Model 2s, which were I think $18,000 mm. each at the time. So he just sort of threw me into this room with this very expensive gear, and um, that was where I got started. I, I sort of didn't really know how any of it worked at the time. And then, you know, I did it for a few years and then started listening to the stuff that was going on at Bernie Grunman's place and, uh, you know, the Brian Gardner stuff, um, 2001, the chronic 2001 um, and that sound really sort of got my attention, you know, because it was sort of big, loud and uh, very effective, you know, for pop music anyway, which is basically, you know, that's mainly what I work on. So, <laughs> and my stuff didn't sound like that. And I was like, how do they do that? You know, how do they do that? And it was a bit of a mystery. So um, anyway, that's, I've spent sort of from then till now trying to figure it out actually. So, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. But um, generally, I think mastering it was fascinating to me because of the way that you can do, you know, very small um, EQ moves and sort of completely change the character of the whole thing. I thought that mm -hmm. was quite fascinating. And I, I think that's sort of initially what got my attention. You know, it's sort of you can give it a vibe by, you know, just tiny, tiny things, whereas people in tracking and mixing are used to doing, you know, big stuff. Yeah, grand gestures. So when you were working with Paul, was that on, were you mastering stuff at that point or you were recording and mixing and then you were listening to the mastered results and thinking, how did it get from here to there? Well, actually, sort of, I think really what happened was I started in the mastering thing. I sort of thought that, um, you know, if I mixed it, it would be better. I could solve some of the problems that I was hearing if I could get it at an earlier stage and mix it. And then I started mixing and then I was like, you know, what I really uh, should do is, is, you know, get into the recording because 
then I could get better sounds and then it would be like this. And then, so then I did that. And then I realized that actually what I really needed to do is work with really talented people that had great sounding instruments. And <laughs> so, you know, that, no, so no, I no, sort of cheating. discovered, I sort of went backwards and I discovered that actually really the whole thing is about talented people and good sounds. And if you get that part of it, then the rest of this, the mixing and the mastering and stuff are actually simple. So that's kind of, that's why you want to sort of work your way up the food chain and work with, uh, you know, talented people, obviously. It's easier. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a perfect uh, link into Billy, really, I guess, because it was obvious to me when I heard her stuff for the first time that she was super talented and Phineas, her, her brother, who's producing it with her, the, likewise. Um, and I'm guessing the same is true of you. I mean, how did you connect? connected to them. And I'm also fascinated to know, did you have a sense, I'm guessing you thought they would be successful, but whether you had any idea exactly how successful? Well, you know, um, this is the legend. It's this little story is, you know, I've told this story hundreds of times over the Grammy, all the Grammy parties and stuff like that. But actually, um, you know, I met Phineas when he was, I think he was a 15 and he reminds me of this actually quite often. Um, he had an indie band, and at the time I had mastered the Bad Sons record, which is called uh, Language and Perspective, and that was his favourite album. So he called me and asked me, or he sent me an email actually, asking me if I would um, master his EP, which was produced by Eric Palmquist, who's a friend of mine. Apparently Phineas was very impressed with the fact that I responded to a 15-year-old, and. Um, in fact, he, when we were uh, walking off stage at the Staples Center, he, I was, we were talking and he said to me, you responded to a 15-year-old's email. So that was like, as if to say, and look what happened, you know. You, <laughs> <laughs> you, know. Had you Had you heard his stuff when you responded? Yes, yes. No, his stuff is good. I mean, he's a talented guy. It's impossible for him to make anything bad music, of course. So basically then, as is well documented, he wrote this song and got his sister to sing it. And then um, I can't remember if it was that song or the following one. They actually, he actually, they actually wanted to, they sent it to me and asked if I would mix it. And um, I didn't really have the rig to deal with all the tracks and stuff at that particular time. So I sent it to Rob Kanelsky and, um, and that, that worked very well. And so, uh, you know, we did a bunch of songs and it was the EP and then more songs and then the LP. And um, it's just kind of developed. I mean, we, we sort of have a sound, really. We've all known each other. We're friends, basically, is what it is. Did you have a sense then? I mean, because I kind of work on stuff all the time where I think, oh, this is fantastic. This is going to be huge. And nobody ever hears of it again. And then... I've worked on other stuff where it's kind of, it's you know, it's another job and I, I do the best I can with it and off it goes. And actually yeah. it does get to be successful. I'm guessing you did think that they were going to, they were going to make it because it was just so good. Well, I don't know really. I mean, you know, I'm not sure that I'm sort of uh, have the A&R ear for what's going to make it and what isn't, to be honest. But I, I thought it was really good right from the beginning and I really liked it and I was very happy to be working on it. Um, 
I didn't, I don't think I, I don't think I realized it was going to be as successful as it has been. It has an honesty and a straightforwardness about it that is, you know, it's very unusual. I haven't actually seen the live show for a couple of years, but I went to a couple of the early shows. And in fact, I, I think the very first show they ever did. And uh, I was telling somebody this morning, actually, Billy was a, she was, you know, 14 or something. She was a badass right from the beginning. And I, I, I went with this friend of mine who's the producer and I said, yeah, you should come and see her. She's great. You know, and we went to the show and, um, he, she just walked out on stage and within about 15 seconds, he turned and, you know, asked me, is she signed to anybody yet? <laughs> <laughs> so it's very obvious that because I, I don't know I'm sure it's the same way you live but the shows you know people everybody's always looking for new stuff you know so uh, yeah. yeah it was obvious yeah she's just kind of she just has that sort of thing you know and then the second show when, when the EP release show we were at the Hi-Hat in Highland Park and um, she came out on stage everyone started screaming and it was one of the loudest sounds that I've ever heard. I was in a state of shock for about two or three <laughs> seconds. I didn't realize what had happened. I, I was, you know, I thought it was an earthquake or something. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. It's kind of sort of, you know, Elvis or the Beatles level. And you could see that right off the bat. But then on the other hand, also, uh, as it turns out, you know, she's very popular with not only my friends, children, but my friends, you know, the older people. <laughs> yeah. So, absolutely. you know, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to watch for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen her live in person, but I watched her at Glastonbury this year on, on TV and often people comment about the kind of the, the kind of almost whispered vocals and sometimes they're quite disparaging about it. Whereas I listen to it and go, but that there's incredible control involved in that. And I was curious to see whether she could do it live. Cause I could imagine it would be really hard to, to achieve on stage, leaping mm. around and stuff. And no, she absolutely can, which, you know, is another part of the equation, I guess. I'd like to talk more in detail about the, the album, if that's okay. Cause I think people listening will be really curious yeah. uh, to, to just hear about the mastering process and your kind of working methods. So I spotted Billy. A couple of years ago, I saw a video of her performing. It was a Michael Jackson song, kind of unplugged on uh, some internet channel. I was just seriously impressed. Um, was kind of aware that the buzz was gradually building behind her over the years. But then when the album came out, I started seeing a ton of posts on the internet debating this whole issue of whether the album was too loud, and in particular, the song Zanny. And I wasn't especially interested initially because, I mean, I know I talk about loudness all the time, but just at, at lots of stuff is really, really loud these days. And it didn't, I'd listened to the album. I thought it sounded great. Uh, it didn't concern me, but something got me curious. Uh, and I, I took a look and indeed there were some parts that read really high on a, an RMS meter on a VU meter, but I genuinely didn't think it was ridiculously or even unusually loud, to be honest, in today's climate. And that's what got me interested in the, the song. And that's why I did the video, because I thought it would be interesting to talk about something that I didn't think was too loud for a change. Yeah. And, you know, you and I connected and I think you saw the video and we, we chatted online about it. 
as a nerdy detail about, you know, lots of people were commenting. I think lots of people were horrified when they saw Zanny on their meters, which, you know, everybody knows you shouldn't listen with your eyes. But I mean, there are points where the bass comes in and if you have an RMS meter, it does push right up to zero, which is an impressive amount of bass, it has to be said. Um, but the nerdy detail I thought people listening to this might be interested in is that you could actually get plus three theoretically, on an RMS meter mm. um, because of the way they're calibrated. We, uh, the music is measured using the AAS definition of RMS, which is calibrated using a sine wave. So if you had a square wave that peaked at zero, the RMS level would be plus three. Mm. Anyway. I'll defer to you on that, Ian. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not a terribly <laughs> nerdy person, so I have no idea what you're talking about, basically. But anyway. <laughs> That's fair enough. You know, be the, the measurements as, as they may, you know, I was curious and kind of started listening and looking at the album on the meters. And I think one important thing that people have missed about this is that measuring loudness using a VU meter or an RMS meter can be misleading because they are much more sensitive to bass than our ears are. Um, and actually, if you use a more modern loudness meter using loudness units, full-scale LUFS, um, the the levels don't look nearly as, as frightening. So, I mean, that was one thing. I mean, the other thing that amazed people about Zanny was the degree to which the bass uh, appears to be cracking up um, and actually, you know, almost kind of overwhelming the vocal at some points. Um, listening to that, it sounded like a production decision to me. And I felt that it almost certainly hadn't been caused by the mastering or even the mixing, because there are other tracks on the album that actually are just as bassy and probably a bit louder as well. That was my reaction to it. And then kind of I heard some interviews with Phineas talking about it, saying that he had deliberately used side chaining and clipping and a whole chain of effects to try and get that effect in Zanny, specifically because he wanted that feeling of the bass kind of blowing everything out mm -hmm. and pushing everything too far. So my interpretation was that people were misunderstanding the distortion as being caused by extreme loudness, whereas actually it's a deliberate production decision. And I, th I mean, you can absolutely confirm that, I'm guessing, because I, I think... There are lots of cases like that on the album, aren't there, where, I mean, it's actually very clever production. Yeah. One thing about it, in first of all, sort of a general point, is that um, if you listen to actually all of her music, really, um, you know, her voice is it's very beautiful and it's very it has a lot of high-frequency information in it, very little low-frequency. So the production and Phineas, I, I actually heard him speak about this on the on the radio um, some a few months back, and so he was explaining that basically um, his approach to the whole thing is to allow the vocal, allow her vocal to take all of the top, and have nothing competing with it. So there's no sizzly hi hats, there's no bright stuff, uh, you know other than the vocal. So that's basically, um, you know, the production elements are all fairly dark as a rule. And there's a lot of bass, there's a lot of low end. So that's really part of the reason why it's like it is, 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 is that, is to get everything out of the way of the vocal. And the vocal arrangements, um, which, you know, I get a chance to listen to because I, listen to the stems, the vocal arrangements are excellent. That's, I, I think, one of the main, you know, strengths of their music is the vocal arrangements are a little step above what most people would think up. 
mm-hmm. when you look at the the frequency distribution of the whole thing is kind of different. So I don't you can't really approach it uh, like you would sort of a traditional pop like a you know Christina Aguilera or you know whoever. Um it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> mm. So but to your question about the production, yeah, absolutely, it's the production. You know, Rob Kanelsky sends me a, a loud mix and a mix with more headroom. But I don't generally, I, you know, I use the mix with more headroom more often than not, but I don't generally clip it. Um, I just bring it back up to the level that the reference mix was or maybe a little bit higher. That's about it. I'm not really adding... Uh, well, at least not that I'm aware of. I'm not adding, you know, distortion or any uh, sort of artifacts that aren't already there. It's it's, and in reality, I mean, I have to say that that uh, the album came in or all of their stuff that I've done. It's just really another day at work. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like you have a lot of time to, or you do anything special that you don't usually do. Or, in fact, that I think is a big mistake. Is a mistake that I've learn to overcome as I've sort of moved up in the mastering chain is that when you get something that's, you know, a famous person is attached to do what you do, you know, don't, don't, don't try and do a bunch of stuff that you try. That's not the time to try new things, (laughs) you know, just do what you do because it's gonna, there's no, you know, there's huge deadlines on these things. You're not going to get a chance to fix you're going to get maybe a one day to fix stuff. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. there'll be, you'll do it. Then the next day people will listen to it. They'll send in whatever they want to send in. You do that and then it's done. So that's, that's pretty much that. But yeah, it's basically all I'm doing is um, I add a little vibe to it, you know, like um, a little bit of saturation, mainly for the vocals, um, but not very much really. It's just the sound of the analog chain and the transformers in my Elysia Alpha compressor, actually, I think is what that album. So it's, it's, it's a kind of transformery sounding, which is, a, you know, an attractive sound for many people. Yeah, that's interesting. I was going to ask whether there was any particular process or processor that kind of had a big contribution to the sound. So it sounds like that would be the Elysia's, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can also completely kind of relate to what you're saying about not, tr- not overthinking if if you get something that's a big name to work on mm. or because I don't know, maybe that doesn't happen to you, but something that I can do, you know, something comes in and you think, oh, for some reason this I should pay more attention to this than usually you right. actually end, end up tying yourself in knots with it. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, that's, yeah. Much better to, yeah, to just like you say, an- another day at work. And actually it's interesting because you've answered a few questions I was going to ask you. Um, so w- was it, was this up for a deadline? Does it kind of, it was in one day back revisions and you were done? Yes, there's um, a tremendous amount of heat generated around a project like that. So there's email, you know, you've got people emailing you, your phone's blowing up, you know, do you have anything for us to listen to yet? You know, all that. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's very, you know, I mean, everybody, you know, it's the same with any creative process. Basically, if you're the last person to get it, everybody's used up all the time doing whatever they do, and then you have to do it right away. Absolutely. And uh, so it presumably wasn't an attended session in this case. Actually, basically what happened is they sent the files like in the afternoon of one day and then 
I sort of got it out and looked at it and kind of developed a game plan and then got up early the next morning and uh, did the whole thing. And they came over at about three o'clock in the afternoon to sequence it and to, you know, do the spacings and all that stuff, like mm-hmm. old school. You know, it's a proper album. Yep. It's, you know, they were very particular about about it's how it's all stuff. put together. So, so yeah, they came over for that. And then they, you know, I sent it to them and they listened to it. And then I think we went, there was a couple of songs. Most of it was good. And there was a couple of songs that we went back and forth a few times. And that was about it. Going back to Zanny, mm. uh, one of the things that I like about that song is it has really extreme dynamics. You know, you have very, very quiet verse sections and very, very loud chorus sections. And, and to, to be honest, I think if it had been passed on to me to master, I would have been tempted to experiment with reducing that contrast somewhat. Um, now, that's obviously not what they wanted. Uh, you know, it was a production decision and they, they wanted to go. I was just curious whether you had been tempted to, to do that yourself or whether you had a conversation with them or whether that was something you immediately knew, no, that's as is and should be left. No, um, I, in general, when you work with people who are really talented like that, they've already sorted that, all, all that stuff out. The rough mix or the mix is basically what they want. So all what you're, you're just trying to, you know, improve on it a bit, like make it sound a bit better, a bit more engaging, just whatever you can find, you know, that they possibly hadn't thought of, which isn't much. <laughs> and uh, no, no. no, you're not going to go screwing around with the dynamics or any of that stuff. Uh, that, that probably wouldn't, would not be a good idea. Um, it's all very carefully thought out, you know. Absolutely. So you're using the Elysia quite lightly then in that case, if you're not, because obviously compression would also affect the dynamics. The signal's just going through it and it's just, it's just the transformers are in and that's about it. Yeah. Okay. I think yeah. I might have used the EQ in it actually a little bit, but I don't remember. I'm not sure. No, fair enough. And I was interested in what you were saying there about Rob sending you two versions of the mix, one loud kind of reference mix and then a, a more dynamic one. You know, that's something that I'm hearing a lot these days from, well, particularly other mastering engineers. Mastering engineers saying it upsets them that people point the finger at them because of the loudness of released product when actually a lot of the mixes that come into them are already incredibly loud. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something you've got experience of too. Do you think that's a recent thing or is it you know, built up over the years or has it been going on forever in your experience? Well, I don't know. I don't, honestly, I don't really care about it that much to be, to be honest with you. I mean, it's just whatever people send, you know, I mean, presumably they're doing the best they can. And, um, I mean, I had this, um, like yesterday I was doing this project, it was an EP, it was like eight songs, and then I think five of them were, uh, you know, 44.1 kilohertz, super loud, and then another mixer had sent me tiny looking things and then loud references, pretty <laughs> <laughs> taking all the stuff off, and, you know, so... I mean, I just basically turned them down and passed them through the chain and made them a bit clearer sounding and all that. You know, sometimes when you get a loud reference, there's something about it that that's interesting or or cool or, you know, that, that really lends something to the song. And sometimes they're just louder 
without really having sort of to have achieved anything very much. I guess the the the, the challenge that people have talked to me about um, and that I've had in the past is that if the clients have been listening to a super loud mix reference, even if the mix wasn't loud, but if they put it through you know an L1 or something else to to push the levels up just to get it in the same ballpark as other stuff that's out there they get used to that sound and then they don't want to hear it go back from there so even if we felt that you might get a better result working from a, a cleaner version maybe that's not possible is that is that something that i mean would you for example basically say okay well whatever the mix is it's got to be at least that loud if not louder is that um, fair enough no you know i sort of go back and forth about it i mean i i've i've seen your uh, uh, you know some of your videos, Ian. So I'm I'm become aware of the thing. Every once in a while, I have a go at you know trying to get people to send me quieter things or sending people quieter stuff. Um, but then that usually lasts for about a month or so, and then I just give up and go back to what, what I was doing before <laughs> because it's like you know you're you're. I think here's what I think about it. I think that it's like I think it's a generational thing. Like in my experience of it, you know, the big time mixers for, uh, that have produced all the hits for the last 20 years or so, they're not going to do anything different. You know, why would they? I mean, they've just, they've, they've sort of, you know, single-handedly kept the music business going for all that time. But some of the younger people that are coming up, but I don't want to mention any names, but I, there's one person in particular that I'm thinking of that I've had these conversations with and he's turning in stuff, you know, big time, uh, you know, artists that are minus 10, minus 11. I'm sorry, I know that's not going to make you very happy, Ian, but, <laughs> but at least it's something. It's not minus six anyway. I think the change is going gonna, is gonna to take a while, basically. That, that's what I think about it. So where I fit into it, I don't know. I'm just kind of, you know, my whole thing is I, I'm just trying to give people whatever it is that they need so that they can feel confident moving forward. And if that's a loud thing and that's the way they want it, then that's the way they want it. If they're not happy about it, if you send it to them and they're like, well, I know he told me it would sound good on Spotify, but it's not, I, I don't know. You know, it's not, if they're used to the loud thing, if that's what they need to feel good about themselves and their career, then give it to them, you know, because there's nothing you know, it's all about confidence, really, you know, in any any sort of profession, I think. It is really a service industry and you're, yeah, you're trying to make people feel good about all the money they've spent, all the time, they, <laughs> the battles that they've fought. Because it's not easy, you know, it's not easy. None of it's easy. Performing's not easy. Recording in the studio is not easy. There's a big long chain, everybody from the artist all the way through to the A&R people and the people at the label have to feel confident in the product. And if any one of them feels that maybe it's not quite loud enough for some reason, then there's, I understand there's tremendous pressure um, to kind of, you know, to move in that direction. So, so I mean, you, but you don't really feel it's a problem. I mean, you, you, you know, it's, you've said to me, you're getting these loud mixes in and... You know, if, if the if the mix is super loud to begin with, well, then as a mastering engineer, turning it down on its own doesn't achieve much. You know, I, I completely see that. But it's not, I, I always kind of feel, oh, if only. Um, but I guess you're kind of just approaching it more in a, you know, yeah, you want to serve the material, serve the artist and, and get the best possible result. Well, there's a couple of things, really. One is that if I had to explain to everybody all about all this stuff, everybody that I work with, I wouldn't have time to do any work. But, the, you know, there's that. 
um, <laughs> because it's very <laughs> time-consuming to have to explain. A lot of times they don't really understand what you're talking about anyway, I think. So these days you're actually working kind of with the A&R or the management and not necessarily speaking directly to the artists mm-hmm. at this point. Is that correct? Well, in the case of Billy and Phineas, um, no, I'm working with Phineas, basically. But for your other projects, it's often somebody sends it to you and may not talk to them directly? Yeah. I mean, some some artists, you know, they go through their managers, like you'll send it to the manager and they'll send it to the artist. They'll make comments and the manager will, you know, because they act as a sort of buffer so the artist doesn't have to deal with it directly. Some not. Some some you deal with directly. Do you have any systems in place for managing like revision notes and you know which files are the latest and who's talking to who and those sorts of things? My assistant deals with most of that stuff. I just get like a sort of copy of the email, like what they want to do, and then it goes up on the whiteboard and um, louder, you know, more brighter, <laughs> more bass, you know, whatever, less bass. Analog, it's whiteboards and Post-it notes, not a spreadsheet. Well, and- yeah, there's a variety of different things. There is a spreadsheet. There's a whiteboard. I like the whiteboard because I can just look at it and see what's going on. Actually, one of the things that I wanted to say earlier on is that honestly, um, I know that we, you know, we're mastering people and all that and engineers and stuff, but really this whole thing is about the song and about the lyrics and the personality of the person who's singing it and uh, the feeling that they're creating. And that's what people actually relate to. So these kind of, well, in a way, they're minor details. In another way, they're not, as we've discussed. I mean, you can change the character of something by, uh, you know, presenting it in a certain different way and mastering. A good song can overcome bad production. Good production cannot overcome a bad song. Mm. That's really the bottom line with all of this stuff. So you work with people and they have varying degrees of pickiness, for want of a better word. You know, some people are very particular about what happens. Some people... Oh yeah, it sounds great, you know. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of the sort of political side of the job. You have to understand who you're working with, you know, where they're at in their career. Some people are just like, okay, we did the mixing, that person did it. Okay, now we're sending it to mastering. Okay, now it's done. And they're just like, okay, it's been mastered by John Greenham or Ian Shepard, and that's it. Some people... Um, <laughs> I often wonder if it's because they, they're afraid of the next step, which means they actually have to put it out and do, you know, do some publicity or something. Uh, you know, sometimes it takes them forever to to decide what to do with it. So I think it's a personality thing, really, isn't it? I think we've all experienced that where it's an inch away from the finish line. It's like, uh, I'm not sure about this. It's like, and you go back and forth on on minor things doing something and undoing it and doing it again exactly, the exact yeah. same way. Yeah. Now I, I have this thing that I say to people sometimes, like, if in 10 years time, you know, you, you, this, this album or this song didn't turn out to be successful in your career, it won't be because the hi-hat was half a dB too loud in the chorus. You know, that's not going to be the reason, to, you know, you know, I just try to make stuff sound good. And then I don't really, you know, look at the meters that much, really. Mm-hmm. I just kind of, make it sound as good as I can. I give it some attitude. And there again, I mean, it depends what kind of music. Yeah, I work on pop music, you know, so it's supposed to be a bit sort of larger than life. Mm. And um, 
Now, I'm not saying you do this with a jazz album or anything like that. No, of course, people do, sadly, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just my, this is just my thing, you know. I mean, I decided at some point that I, I, I wanted to work on records that a lot of people listen to, and I don't know whether that's vanity or what it is, but that's kind of the path that I chose. So the type of music that I work on actually sounds better like that a lot of the time. And I think that, you know, one of the main things about that is that um, if you, for example, people post these little clips of um, their stuff on Instagram, if it sounds really good on the Instagram, uh, the little uh, Instagram announcement thing, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm happy because that's mainly where people are going to come into contact with it. That little phone speaker doesn't want a lot of dynamic range. It's going to sound really weak if it's not, you know, fairly uh, sort of blown up, so to speak. Do you know? So that's what I see most of my clients doing. They put out singles. They make videos. Uh, they uh, post them on Instagram and um, whatever else they do with them. Um, I also would like to know if there's any sort of trends in mastering or in music in general that you're excited about or concerned about? Well, uh, I don't, I, you know, mastering is a pretty sort of stable thing. I'm not sure that there's, you know, I mean, maybe there's, there's equipment that I don't know about that's good that's out there. Uh, it seems like the, the converter thing is improving, like they're getting cheaper and they actually sound really good. Uh, maybe that's one thing. Um, as far as doing the actual work, I don't think it's really changed that much. I mean, I have friends who work on big records in the box and I've never sort of been able to do that. Well, you know, for one thing, it isn't, it, to me, it's not very much fun. Um, <laughs> but uh, the advantage is, is that you, you know, you can go away for the weekend and take your laptop and a good pair of headphones. And if you have to do revisions, you can do them in your hotel room. We interviewed Glenn Schick a while ago, and he does everything on, on headphones and hmm. you know, on the beach, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that's kind of, that would be nice. But I, for the moment anyway, I'm just sort of in love with the uh, Lavery Gold converters. I don't see how I can get that sound. You know, you basically just run stuff through them, and it, that's really all you have to do. It's it, to me, working with the analog stuff makes everything much easier. You maybe can get the same sound or similar, or maybe you can get through the gig in the box, but you'd have to work a lot harder, honestly. That, that's what I think. That's really interesting. Yeah. Do you have a, a big stack of, of different pieces that you can choose from, or do you have kind of you do you have several kind of really carefully selected things that you like to use on most stuff? I just have the Elysia Alpha. That's, I mean, I've had all kinds of things over the years and I, I don't like having a setup with all the switchers and I don't see any point in having three miles of wire in your desk going all over the place. I think you just plug things into other things and it's much better. It's very simple, very clean signal chain. Um, you know, otherwise if you, you know, the, all of these things, I don't care what anybody says. There's no such thing as a neutral sounding piece of analog gear. They all do something. You know, I've come to the position where I, I just kind of, um, 
But, well, partly also for recallability. I mean, if, you, if you've used like three different EQs and two compressors and stuff, you're, you're going to make a mistake somewhere writing the settings down. At least that's what I always found. So, yeah, I just keep it really simple, basically sort of hybrid thing, I suppose. I think the plugins have gotten a lot better, you know, like the DMG stuff, for example, is really good. That, what is it, multiplicity thing? That's a fantastic device. It's incredible. It sounds fantastic. You know, you can't even hear it doing whatever it's doing, really. Hmm. There's some really good stuff, but still and all, I mean, I'll put that stuff on the front end and then send it through the analog chain. And sometimes the analog chain is just the D to A and the A to D and everything bypassed. I suppose it, it comes down to just, you know, sort of eight and a half thousand dollars for two channels of A to D has a certain sound to it. Mm-hmm. That to me, that, that the Lavery thing is the sound of pop music. That's kind of, you know, it's the Bernie Grumman sound. That's what, that's what that sound is, as a matter of fact. I think I might have to go and uh, do some testing. <laughs> uh, I think about a year and a half ago, I made some files. I, I got up a Spotify and I just recorded it into my computer through the regular old sound card. Uh, I, I, I recorded like sort of, I picked, I don't know, five or six songs and then uh, recorded them, you know, not normalized, recorded them normalized. And um, and then downloaded the files from, you know, Amazon or whatever, the full range files, and sort of just to check it all out and see what was going on. And um, sent it to some people that I worked with and like, listen to this, you know, here's what's happening on Spotify. And mm-hmm. um, I think I, I probably sent it to about half a dozen people. Most people didn't listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> there was only one person who listened to it. He heard some th- things that were completely different than what I heard. I think it's very difficult to tell. I, actually, the only time I've had anybody, interestingly enough, uh, say that his stuff didn't sound very good on Spotify was this thing that I did with this guy, and it was fairly quiet because that's what he requested. And he goes, my stuff doesn't sound very good on Spotify. And I went, well, that's odd because... It was like, you know, <laughs> it was pretty moderate level. And hmm. so I just said, look, man, I don't know. You know, I don't know what, I, I, I can't really, you know, Spotify is a bit of a mystery to me. I don't really understand what it is, you know, what they do to it. So then I sent him louder ones, and louder and brighter. And I, I said, Lord, look, try these, you know, maybe these will be better. I don't know. <laughs> One interesting thing that I discovered, and that is that I think it was um, Janelle Monet it's too long winded to go into how I figured it out, but it's like, I think they did actually have a different master that they sent to Spotify, which was quieter. And was that dirty computer? I I don't remember what song it was. This was, you know, a year and a half ago, probably. I think they did make a loud version for, for files. And then they, they sent a quieter one for Spotify, but I, and I wanted to get in touch with the producer and ask them, and I never did it, but because you'd have to have a fair amount of clout to do that, I think, because normally you only get to send one file, I believe. Yeah, I, it's, that's an interesting one because the, I certainly noticed that the last Janelle Monet album, 
uh, sounded more dynamic on YouTube than it did on iTunes. Mm. And I'm assuming that the iTunes version is the same as the CD master. Um, so on YouTube, you can hear the whole album as a kind of continuous sequence and it's got a, uh, like a concept video that runs through it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's about three dBs lower. It's still pretty loud. Um, and it's less limited. And I mean, personally, I prefer it. I think it sounds, you know, more spacious and more open. So I think you're right. And I think what the, they've done in that case is there's a version for streaming and then a version mm. for the CD, which, you know, makes my teeth ache a bit because it's like, well, the CD is a higher quality version than YouTube. <laughs> that should get the, you know, yeah. the, the ultimate version, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I guess yeah. it depends whether you think the limited or the, or the unlimited version is the, the ultimate version. But um, I mean, that's maybe something that we're going to see more, more of in future. As I say, I think the trend overall is downwards. I mean, maybe in LA, not so much, honestly. Um, you know, maybe other places it's easier to get away with that. But, um, the other thing about it is, is that, I mean, as long as that there is, uh, you know, a situation where files are going to be compared <clears throat> head to head, then people are going to want it loud. They're not going to want their stuff, uh, to be not as loud as the next file that comes on, you know, that's, that's just not going to work. And there are situations in which that does happen like for example if you're sending music out for sync or something like that for people to listen to um they might have thing you know it might be compared head to head with something else it's a really complicated and fascinating topic mm. which i think is how i get away with talking about it so much um and I, to be honest the things that you're saying i think you know it's a really valid point of view it's, it's why i was interested in getting you on the show because i think you know i i have my own podcast. So I get to give my views on this all the yeah, time, but right. I know there are a lot of mastering engineers out there, you know, especially people working for big labels, big name clients who, who have a different perspective on it. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to kind of represent that on the show. So, yeah. you know, I mean, thank you for, for kind of coming on and, and talking about it. You know, it's, it's, mm. it's very appreciated. Um, I was just interested to briefly kind of get almost philosophical about it because I get some, flack from some people um saying that i shouldn't be even attempting to persuade artists <laughs> that maybe they're you know we could get a better result if i had a slightly less pushed file to work mm -hmm. from yeah um because that is their artistic vision um and it's kind of fascinating in in the context of this album because i you know with with billy's album i do genuinely think I know from hearing the things that you've said and that Rob has said and Phineas has said that, you know, for example, the, the, the bass and the low end on Zanny is entirely intentional. So that's a clear example of somebody having an artistic vision and pursuing it. And the, you know, the degree of loudness is, is part of that. My feeling from my perspective is that a lot of stuff that I hear out there it wasn't about an artistic vision. It's just been pushed super loud you know, yeah. because people want to be louder than the next person or they think they need to be loud in order to sell copies and all of the rest of it. Right. Um, you know, and it's, uh, so I think it's, it's, it's a kind of fascinating question. You know, it kind of puzzles me almost when people say you shouldn't be offering opinions and advice about that because we're mastering engineers, you know, yes. people bring stuff to us to, to get a third party, hopefully objective opinion and yeah. benefit of experience and i feel like we should be honest about what we think is best for the music yeah that's not really a question <laughs> no no i i agree i i here's what i think about it is that basically uh 
if you get into this situation, there's nothing more miserable than being in a situation where you're trying to make something louder than it really wants to be. And, you know, I've been, like, especially early days of CD and stuff like that, it got brutal there for a while. But there is a point at which it sort of goes over the top. And I think basically it takes many years to understand how far you can go and when you've gone far enough and to stop there. And, you know, some things, some things want to be loud. Some things sound good loud. Other things, not so much. <laughs> you know, you know, so the sort of contest aspect of it is really annoying, I think. That's my feeling about it. Is this the point at which you, you gain, you gain, you gain, and then you cross the line and then you're losing transience. You're losing a certain amount of transience actually might be a good thing, possibly. But there's a certain point at which, you know, if you start sort of trying to uh, you know, use clipping to, you know, re- artificially recreate transients or something like that. That's a, that's a horrible situation, really. I mean, I, mm. you might do that, might be valid to do that, but, but you know, it, it's, but there again, it does depend on the type of music that you're working on. You know, pop music is supposed to be like bombastic and kind of a bit sort of melty, you know, kind of falling apart mm-hmm. a bit. You know, that's, that's, I think that's, it's, uh, that's, it's attraction. And it's, it's basically, that's why the songs are only three minutes. You, you can't take much more of it than that. It's like, get in, say something and get out. You know, that's what I've always liked about working on, uh, pop music really is that it doesn't sort of, you know, there's not like a theme and then a development and all It's it's kind of. You know, it's a message. It's a short message. It's an interesting, it can be an interesting, but that's the thing about going back to Billy's thing is that above all, her stuff is interesting. To, the lyrics are interesting. Yeah, pretty much everything about it is is interesting. Um, yeah, I think that, that, that's a great point and maybe a, a good place to kind of round this up. Um, you know, just to come back and say, you know, congratulations, because I love that album. And, uh, you know, I think it deserves all... The, the attention that it's got. And yeah, congratulations again on your contribution to that. Um, must be really satisfying to to have been part of that and and maybe, you know, whatever they, well, hopefully whatever they do next. Well, thank you very much, Ian. That's very kind of you to say. I uh, Also, I'd like to say, I'd like to thank you as well for, um, you know, your your work in, um, I mean, I think it has had an impact in, in sort of the discussion about loudness. I think it's been actually beneficial and although i'm i'm not really in a position to fully take advantage of what you suggest at this particular time <laughs> you know it's good to be aware of it anyway and uh, and yeah the grammy thing was great you know it was it was um it's a bit unnerving honestly to be dragged out of your cave thrust into the spotlight uh you know on national television it's it's all a bit weird frankly but <laughs> It was uh, it, fun nonetheless. You know, it was, it was a good thing. Um, it was, yeah, it was a very interesting experience. Um, I don't know how famous people do it all the time. I don't know how they do it, honestly. I would need a long break between appearances if I was going to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And it's essentially, it's just what, you know, the, perhaps the, uh, the last thing that I, I want to say is that, 
I was in San Francisco for many years. I, I worked on fairly obscure stuff. I moved here and I just met these people that became extremely famous. It was like a rocket ship. Yeah, you know, you just have to keep doing what you're doing. I think it was um, who was Slash actually said, uh, I, I heard recently, somebody asked him, like, how do you make it in the music business or one of those things? And he goes, his answer was, the only people that don't make it are the people that give up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, there's a big element of truth to that, I think. I think there is a big element of truth to that, but I think um, you also have to have, you know, sufficient uh, taste and drive and commitment and all of those things. And you obviously have that, and, and Billy and Phineas have that too. So uh, that's got to be a good thing. And I'm imagining that uh, even if it was a bit uncomfortable having to be on telly and stuff, it will be good for business, hopefully. Yes, it um, it is. Yes, it's been very good for business, actually. Yeah, no doubt. Excellent. That's good to hear. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you what changes happen in your life once you've won a Grammy? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, we'll find out. This isn't your first, though. You've won them before, right? Well, I've been associated with uh, albums that have won Gran Grammys. I mean, I've worked on albums that have won Grammys, but as you, I'm sure you know, in the mastering world, you only get the statue for a Record of the Year, Album of the Year, and uh, Best Engineered, which is the three that we actually won this year. Mm -hmm. So um, so you can't really say you won a Grammy unless it's in one of those three categories. You can say, you know, they give you a certificate. I think people probably do, to be honest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, many people do that. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, they're, because it's the internet, many people uh, correct them on that <laughs> rather, <laughs> rather unkindly. They'll say, yeah, you didn't uh, win a Grammy, that thing. Yeah, I've seen that happen too, so... But, I think um, that's one of the nice things about this is is that you guys did get recognised, you know, um, because you're absolutely right. You know, even even if you, well, say, say it gets album of the year, there's no explicit mention of a mastering engineer in that. But you know, we do contribute something, hopefully, quite a bit to the to the process. So, but it's it's kind of even nicer to to actually get the engineering prize, you know, and and have the work explicitly recognised. Yeah, no, it's it it's been great. I suppose it probably hasn't really sunk in, to be honest, um, because I've just been dealing with, um, uh, you know, a lot more work. I mean, the other thing that happens is that you hear from just about everybody that you've known in your entire life. <laughs> every you, Hundreds of people write to you, congratulations on you. You know, it's like, it's so it's a lot to deal with. That's what I'm saying about my small exposure to fame, I have newfound respect for people that live it like that only times, you know, 50,000. Yeah, with that much attention. Yeah. So you're going to do this again every year? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe so. I think I'll watch it on television next year. <laughs> well, listen, John, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate uh, you coming on and... and telling us about the album and talking about all this stuff with us i will no doubt bump into you online again soon yeah really enjoyed it Ian. it's great talking to you if you guys enjoyed listening to the interview please share it with your friends uh, let them know if you think they would also be interested head over and leave us a review on itunes to help other people discover the show and maybe head over to the website and sign up for the mailing list so we can let you know about future episodes thanks to john for mixing and editing the episode as always 
And thanks to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.